Well, good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for May 29th, 2016. Koyo Kobosa here. So very glad you joined us. Well, it's the end of May. And here in Central California, my garden is doing well, my vegetable garden. Uh, I'd like to tell you about the Dharma of pulling carrots. Um, I was harvesting the other day, and if you can imagine a little home vegetable garden, and uh, I pull a carrot, and you eat this carrot. If we stop to pause, there's so much going on there, so much to to experience. Um, I'm not just a consumer of the carrot, but I'm a producer of the carrot. And what makes it possible? If I say, well, I'm the producer of the carrot, well... That's a pretty presumptuous statement. I'm involved in it. But it always blows me away when I think about what happened, what uh, grows from a tiny seed. And you plant this tiny seed so many months ago. Then, of course, you have to water it. You have to weed, and you just, you know, go along as one of your uh, chosen tasks, the other garden activities, and, and you keep an eye on it, and it's growing, and then you notice that the, you can see the carrot, uh, the greenery, and then you can see the top of the carrot in the in the ground, so it's getting big enough to harvest. And then you harvest it and then you and you eat it. You can imagine the kind of uh, thoughts one might have or you might have uh, in this kind of an experience. But my thoughts were well uh, I'm eating all the quotes around the word eating. I'm consuming the things. I'm I'm eating all that work, all that influence of nature, all the sun, the water, the the nutrients in the soil that enable this thing to grow. Um, what a miracle. What an interdependency. What um when I think about the seed, that seed had to come from a previous carrot generation, which came from its own generation. Uh, I didn't produce that seed. And that seed doesn't stand alone as a seed, but it came from whole line of carrot plants, whole, whole line of generations 
on almost into infinity, although it has to start someplace. And uh, uh, there's a mystery there. And what does this dharma of pulling carrots mean? Well, the main thing that prompted me to, that sort of impacted me pulling carrots is, now I have these carrots, I had a pretty good crop this year, not just in quantity, but in quality. I plant uh, a particular variety of carrots that I like them nice and long and thin. I don't like the uh, short, stubby ones. Now, my carrots are, oh, I would say almost, well, could be a foot long, narrow and a foot long. They're very tender. Them in um, very uh, loose soil. It's not hard soil. Uh, of course, I uh, have amended that soil. Amending, amendments are a technical term. I probably didn't know that word ten years ago, until I, became, you know, started really having a garden. But you you add things to your soil. Um, amendments. So you amend the soil is amended. I put compost in there and this and that. So the soil is very. Uh, very good soil when it's loose, so the carrots can grow down deep. And actually, they're in a in a, in a kind of like a box. Uh, I guess you would call them a, a tree box. You can they're made of wood. And I bought these boxes, and you could put a tree in there. It's about maybe three feet, three four feet high square box and so I put the soil in there and I plant my carrots in there so the carrots can grow deep that's my point the soil is loose and when you harvest these long carrots I I get a trowel and I put it down parallel to the carrot and I kind of loosen the soil and I do this on all four sides of the carrot and then I pull the carrot out. It's a sort of harvesting common sense. Okay. Um, inevitably, when I'm harvesting a number of carrots, I get a little careless and I don't loosen up the soil around a, a carrot. And when I pull it, it snaps. I don't get the whole carrot. Uh, if it's so long, then... Um, the tip is sort of fastened in the soil down deep and and maybe I didn't and so it cracks off. That's bad. <laughs> you know. You want to pull it up whole. You want to be careful when you jiggle it, loosen it up, and then pull it up. Careless and you're harvesting and then crack. It's almost like your own bone crack. It's a jarring thing. You go, oh shucks. Or maybe something stronger, exclamation. You look up and say, tell, you tell yourself, be careful. Be mindful. Be, don't be in a hurry. And so it becomes a, 
a particular task to very mindfully pull up a carrot and start thinking about it. And you don't do it mechanically, uh, mentally. So you loosen it up, be extra, give a few extra loosening up movements, and then maybe twist the carrot a little bit until it feels loose. And you get some experience pulling carrots. And then you pull it up, and oh, see that thing. I guess this is the joys of home gardening, um, growing things. And so I was thinking. I was thinking about uh, one time D.T. Suzuki, a famous Buddhist scholar, and uh, I read. At one time, uh, I don't remember what the topic of his lecture or talk was. I guess uh, it wasn't. Well, something happened, and he, he didn't need to talk about a particular topic that he prepared. And it was said that he spent the time talking about his garden. The, the tenor of that article was like, why? He didn't talk about the Dharma or Buddhism. He talked talked about his garden. Uh, now, I don't know exactly what he talked about. Maybe he did relate it to, to the Dharma. I don't know whether his audience was disappointed. He didn't talk explicitly about some Buddhist teachings or something, but he talked about his Dharma. I think that talk must have been much better than a dry abstract only, the scholar, only some other scholars may have appreciated unless the audience was a sophisticated audience and they were expecting you know elucidation on some profound dharma teachings but I always remember that little story because here at the Bright Dome Center we talk about dharma glimpses and formulating dharma glimpses is an essential part of our the role of education is not to fill up an empty mind or fill up a person person fill his person's head with not knowledge about Buddhism. But the definition of education for us is to bring out bring out from a person's personal experience the teachings that are in his life. Uh, and I think that when we think about it, the goal of the teachings in the first place, sometimes people don't want to hear personal stories or personal stories about themselves. They don't want to do a more scholarly attitude or expectation about talking about Buddhism rather than expressing Buddhism itself in their own lives. So I think that's an important topic, okay? And I feel very shallow in the, what I've said about the Dharma of pulling carrots, but I hope it gives an idea about how everyday activities, uh, if we stop to pause, whoa, there's so much fundamental Dharma teachings of interdependency and impermanence and 
non-attachment or all kinds of teachings in there. Well, I want to move on to today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. Her name is Christine Keogh. Lives in Southern California. She's a physical therapist. She's my niece. She's the oldest daughter of my late brother Don, and she is the oldest grandchild of Reverend Biome and Minnie Kubose. So let's hear what Christine has to share with us today. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, so I have a little story here. Uh, my friend and I opened our physical therapy practice about 13 years ago. And over the years, we've grown not only in the physical sense, like increasing rent space, increasing patient visits, and hiring more therapists, but we've also grown in the wisdom sense as well. So about two months ago, a therapist who's been with us for about seven years said, "When when you have a chance, I need to speak to both of you. Now, we have learned that when we hear that, it generally means not so good news. So we finally met, and she said that she was taking a part-time job in Long Beach, which, mind you, is one and a half hours away, but still wanted to work with us two days a week versus her three and a half. So we thought, okay, not so bad. But the next day, she wanted to talk to the both of us again, and that time she told us she wanted to resign completely and only gave us two weeks' notice. Now, in the past, it's taken months, sometimes three months, to find a a therapist, let alone a good therapist. So we immediately, you know, got on the ball. We called the physical therapy school in the area. They put a blast email out. We contacted all our friends and their friends and told them to ask around, put the word out. So then, you know, we're, like, stressing because we have to cover 30-some-odd patient visits. But seriously, not a week later, another therapist told us that she was leaving. She had been with us five years, and she was buying a practice in Arizona. Now, her husband had lost his job about a year and a half ago and wasn't able to find a job here. And so they were going to move to Arizona, and apparently there's more jobs for him there. So talk about stressing. Now we needed two therapists. So we interviewed a few, a handful of therapists. None of it worked out really. So we called registry, and that's like temporary workers, um, which is usually over $70 an hour, but we had to do it. So we did that, and then finally we found two therapists. So can you say impermanence? That's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> so just when you think the water is calm, it won't be. So basically, impermanence, I looked it up, as well as remember remembering what Uncle Sonnen has said about the uh, word impermanence. You know, that basically everything is in constant flux, ebb and flow. Things are constantly coming into being and ceasing to be. And since nothing lasts, there's no fixed nature to any object or experience because things are impermanent. Attachment to them is futile and leads to suffering. You know, so I was thinking, well, yeah, the first therapist we ever hired, she left and opened her own practice. And then another therapist left and moved back to Canada after a year. Then another one left and moved to L.A. Actually, 
two, three, actually, now that I think about it, three of our therapists went on maternity leave, came back, two of them left again, and then came back. <laughs> and then, of course, um, we had one move to Colorado, California, Northern California, et cetera. So in all our wisdom over these 13 years, one thing we learned for sure is that things are impermanent, but everything always works out for the good, good karma. And things happen for a reason, so we don't need the stress, and change is good. Well, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I think this gives a glimpse of everybody has their own context or backstory of how a teaching like impermanence uh, plays out. And Christine's perspective, uh, an important part of her life is her um, physical therapy practice and from the from the perspective of the employer, uh, the, the owner of the uh, work company, there's a lot of different uh, uh, perspectives than, say, an employee or, uh, or a client. But the underlying thing is the same about how life is dynamic and always changing. You know, we might... Mm, one of the, I was going to say, uh, what, um, one of the banes, one of the things of having, of being able to compare. You know, we might compare our own situation or life to someone else's life that we see. Oh, those celebrities, they got it made, they're famous, rich where so-and-so is successful, so-and-so is, you know, and we compare. Not realizing that the dynamics of, well, I say Buddhist doctrine, but it's really life's reality of the dynamic changing nature of reality. Or we call it impermanence. Um, I suppose impermanence has a slightly negative connotation, things don't last. But it means not only that good things don't last, but bad things don't either. It means that new improved things, better things will come along as well as what we call worse things, bad things. But as far as the dynamic flow of reality, there is no good or bad, is it? Again, context, because maybe you lose a, a therapist and then you got a better one. I mean, you don't know until in hindsight, but all the stress and worry of, which I don't think realistically we can say, well, don't, don't worry about it. Don't get attached. Don't, you know, just flow with it. Well, yeah, of course, that's our ideal being human beings and you can't help but be concerned when the changes happen. Uh, But I think it certainly does 
help when you can name that teaching, step back and see the context of that teaching and, and how it plays out in actual life situations. Um, and I think that, well, you know, it's just a personal note, but Christine, as I said, was my, is my niece, so I'm her uncle, and and all my family members know me as my given name, which is Sanan. Uh, when I say Koyo is my Dharma name, uh, just like Gyome, my father, that's his Dharma name. His given name growing up was Masao. But soon as he got ordained by his teacher, who, who had given him this Dharma name of Bright Dawn, Gyome, he started using that, okay? Reverend Gyome M. Kubose. Um, but I never thought about that to myself. I was Sanan, and then my Dharma name was given to me by my father as my middle name when I was born. So my full name would be Sanan Koyo Kubose. But all my friends and family members when I was growing up, I just went by Sanan. Um, and, he, and then it struck me one time. I had already been a minister many years, and I said, why, why aren't I using my Dharma name? You know. So I, I, I thought it would be good for my own personal benefit in terms of reminding me who, you know, my priorities and values and so forth. So I started using Koyo Kobose, uh, but my family knows me as Sanan, so that's why she referred to, she was talking, and she said, oh, Uncle Sanan. <laughs> and that's a very unusual name, by the way, um, <clears throat> unique, only one person. If someone says Sanan, I turn around because it's me. Uh, it's an original name made up by my parents. Um, they were thinking about sana, the words, root word, medieval word for the sun, sana, and then they put an N on the end to round it out. And um, uh, sometimes when you're given a, a unique name, it creates all kinds of problems when you're growing up as a kid. And, you know, it's strange. Uh, it's not like Bill or John or, you know, Mary. So... But anyway, as they say, maybe it maybe it uh, had some side benefits of uh, building my character. <laughs> but I want to share one thing and close on this. Something really impacted me. Uh, a story that Christine said uh, a year or so ago when her father died. My brother Don. Our families were very close. We we visited each other, you know, several times a year when we lived in on the in the Midwest, and they were in Maryland at the time, and when the kids were growing up, and uh, when my brother and Christine's father passed away a year and a half ago. Um, At one of the memorial services, she told this story that I that I titled "The Backward Glance." This is the backward glance story, and she remembers vividly an experience when she was a young child. Um, I'll set the 
the stage for this story. She was a young child, and I guess they were playing around, and she was in the car, cars, their family car's trunk, and, and the trunk was open, and she was uh, looking out, okay, out of the trunk, and I guess playing like this, and Don, her father, was walking away, but he was, you know, concerned about her, making sure that <laughs> the lid didn't go down or just, just checking to see how she was doing as she's playing, hiding in the trunk, peering out. And he and he looked backward as he was walking away, busy doing something. And she, her eyes were peering out of the trunk, and she saw him look back. And somehow, even at that young age, I don't know, maybe she was only, you know, five to ten years old, somewhere in that range, it was his concern for her. Kind of a, you know, very. And so she just happens, she just remembers that. So he, he's, as a parent, he's concerned and he's just checking on it. We were all in the hospital when my father, when my brother passed away. And uh, we all said our goodbyes and everything. And then the funeral home came. And they uh, put him in the bag and on a gurney-like, and and uh, we were out in the hallway. And then they came out of the room and and uh, taking him to the funeral home. And and Christine, as they were taking him away, and we were getting ready to leave and go down the elevator and whatnot, she looked backwards to see him being carted away and she thought about this backward glance and she just well checking on her dad saying goodbye to her dad seeing that he's being taken away in this process um, of uh, that's involved when someone dies and when her home comes picks up the body you know and I thought that this is a very, I don't know what you would call it, nostalgic, impactful, meaningful experience and being able to put it in, tell that story like that, the backward glance. So I wanted to share that. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a very beautiful day. Thank you. <laughs>